Listeners, welcome to Super Belly Bros in Movie Land. Hi, Phil. Hi, Laurie. We've got some great movies for you, and we finally got Benedict Seals' Cannes 2017 breakdown. He's been to the festival, come back from France, and he's giving us all the goss and the movie news. He's got blonder hair as well. The sun's done a lot of it. A lot of uh, it's highlighting. You didn't say that while he was here. I I did. Did you? Okay. You were listening. (laughs) Well, we've already recorded that, and there's some debate in the studio here about whether that's going to be released as a separate sort of mini show because it's kind of nice and self-contained. Or whether we're going to shove that in this show, so, well, you'll know one way or Wait the other. Wait and see. Indeed. But what are the other movies that we're reviewing this week, Phil? I've gone to see Pirates of the Caribbean's new instalment, Salazar's Revenge. Number five. Or it, some places it's been called Dead, Dead Men, Men Tell, Tell No, no Tales. Tales. Yeah, thank mm. you. So that's why I've seen this week. You've gone to see Wonder Woman, haven't you? Yes, and also After the Storm by Hirokazu Koreda. He did that amazing Japanese film, I Wish, recently. Oh, you loved that film. Yes, I did. And in fact, Phil, I think one of our listeners emailed us in about After the Storm ages ago. And we said, well, I haven't seen it. Sorry, can't comment because they saw it on a plane. Yes. So, yeah, it's only being released in the UK this week. Looking forward to talking about that one. Okay. We've also got your tweets and emails. Thanks very much for those who've sent that in. Superbaileybros at gmail.com or at Bros on Twitter. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your plus ones, your minus ones about the films we're reviewing this week and any film which we've reviewed in pu- previous weeks. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts. Get involved. Get in touch. Yeah, and you've got to say what we've been watching is back again this week. Uh, Phil is going to do, I think you're going to cover off the other Pirates films, right? For a bit of context. Yeah, I'm going to try and do the franchise as a whole so that I don't have to do that in my review. I can nice. just focus on this one film. And I'll be covering War Machine, which, you know, technically is what we've been watching because it's a Netflix release, so slightly different. But it's brand new. Yeah. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> Remember, patreon.com slash Bros if you want to support us financially. And let's go. So you were singing the theme tune to Wonder Woman. Would you like to give us another burst? Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Can you actually play the real clip? Well, I don't, I'm not sure I can actually remember what the theme is. It's like guitar like Isn't that doof, the X-Men theme doof, from the cartoon show? It does show. sound like the X-Men scene. <laughs> I remember as I was singing it to you, I was thinking, that sounds like a TV show. And that's what it is, the X-Men scene. Wow. But maybe you could actually play the one, because I think that's the only <laughs> theme from Batman vs Superman, which is actually quite strong and memorable. Okay. So when I've heard that, I know, oh, that's the Wonder Woman theme. Let me see if I can find a little clip. If I do, it will go here and we'll all see how great Phil was. If not, then you'll just sound and look like a fool, Phil. Oh, as usual. <laughs> yes. Listeners, I went to see Wonder Woman this week, starring Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot. How do you pronounce it, Phil? Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. That's what we're going with. Sorry, Gal, if you're out there. Just realize how that sounds to say. <laughs> gals, gals, gals. Yeah, gal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you shouldn't laugh. It's a name. Uh, yes. A lot of criticism came her way for some reason. Or this is something I've heard anyway for taking on the role of Wonder Woman. I think she's terrific in it, personally. Do you remember her in Batman vs Superman? Yeah, she was one of my favourite parts in that movie of a not very good movie. I think she has a lot of charisma and strength to her character, I think. Yeah, she portrays it really well, doesn't she? And interesting you, you said that there, because I think after Batman vs Superman and Suicide Squad, it's that miniature performance that everyone saw towards the end of Batman vs Superman that essentially is the last remaining hope for the DC expanded universe. I think you might be right there, yeah. Exactly. Marvel appeared to survive even when they pump out average films. They've landed on a formula that just works, whereas DC have just never seemed to be able to court the critical acclaim that they need. And even their box office, which is impressive, is still considered a relative failure given how heavily invested they are in those films. And what would you say the general criticisms are, Phil? Criticisms are that it's too dark, too serious, and a 
bit too concerned with looking cool and they kind of miss the point that these people need to be relatable i think um i have a theory actually why the dc films aren't doing very well do it fast do it fast it's because the marvel films you know every single alter ego that they have you understand peter parker you understand tony stark whatever in these films dc universe films you have no investment in bruce wayne or clark kent or diana what's her name prince diana prince you don't really know them as characters they have to be superman batman wonder woman that's all they exist or in this movie they're not real people behind the costumes they are the costumes they do do try to do that but that's an interesting point of view listeners let us know if you agree with phil's uh, insight there now i tentatively will suggest right at the top here that if you're feeling tense right now you've got a lot of tension in your chest and you're just hoping then you can let the tension subside because this film was pretty good. Okay? Is it? Yeah, I'll say that right at the top, because I think there will be people <laughs> who are genuinely a bit nervous about it. But yeah, I'll get into it in more detail. So we've got a clip for you, listeners. This is Gal Gadot and the rest of the Amazonian women who live on a hidden island, secluded, separate from the rest of the world. Uh, you've got Connie Nielsen from Gladiator, who is Hippolyta, the queen. You've got Robin Wright playing, I can't remember the name, but she's the sort of the warrior chief of the Amazon. Gal Gadot, who is, is the young one who's growing up and all that sort of thing. Just picture the scene. They're all stood there arrayed in all their finery. They look very intimidating. They're an incredibly magical place. And you're seeing it all through the eyes of a completely bewildered and lost World War I pilot, Chris Pine, who has come in and he's Stephen Trevor. He has crash landed uh, around this magical island and has been saved by these people and now is being questioned by them. They want to know how he discovered them, what he's doing there, and they've got a specific method to ensure that he speaks the truth. A whip of truth, isn't it, or something? Well, let's see. My uh, <clears throat> name is Captain Steve Trevor, pilot, American Expeditionary Forces, serial number 8141. Nine two one. That's all. I'm at liberty to. Assigned British intelligence. What the hell is this thing? The lasso of Hestia compels you to reveal the truth. But it's really hot. What is your mission? Whoever you are, you are in more danger than you think. What is your mission? I'm. I am a spy! I'm a spy. I'm a spy. Is this the first man that Wonder Woman's ever met? Yeah, that's right. And there's a few jokes uh, at both their expense uh, along those lines as well. Very enjoyable jokes. I should give you a little bit more context, but I'm slightly nervous too, because as I was writing a review for this one, the, the setup for this film is quite baggy, but it isn't representative of the whole film. So if you find what I'm about to say confusing, I apologise, but just know that the film does it better than I do. Just shrug it off. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So we start right back in ancient Greece. Like Basically, the origin of these Amazonian women in this version uh, of history is that they were created by Zeus, the god and they were supposed to bridge uh, the differences between the races of men and try and bring peace to the world because although Zeus created mankind and he was, he was loving it very happy with it Ares the god of war was not impressed by mankind and thought they were evil and wicked and deserved to be destroyed so he fostered lots of war and conflict and you know all that kind of stuff so <laughs> Phil's making a face uh, I understand Phil trust me um, and this is this is all told incidentally like the beginning of Lord of the Rings basically <laughs> right, okay. uh, like with the, vo- the voiceover except rather than uh, clips from the film they animate sort of Greek style Baroque paintings worry for this but this is like trust me it's better than it sounds but yeah so the amazons came in and tried to solve that problem they fought against Ares, but Ares succeeded in destroying loads and loads of gods he remains a threat out in the world 
and the Amazons have retreated to this hidden island to bide their time, ready to defeat Ares when the moment arises. Is that making sense? Yes. So in other words, time has stood still for them, which is why they're still in armour and still carrying swords and shields and all that sort of stuff. And so when a World War II, one pilot arrives in his plane, they're completely bemused. And when he's immediately followed by the German Navy that's pursuing him, they're even more con- uh, confused and confronted by violence. And that is the method by which uh, Wonder Woman leaves the island because when she sees the war that follows this man chris pine she realizes it must be Ares. Ares is there he's the one causing the world war i must go and defeat him and save the world clear yes actually surprisingly is it really yeah <laughs> i'm glad to hear that listeners i really enjoyed this film i was really relieved to enjoy this film top of the list for me is the fact that Patty Jenkins, who's the director here, she also directed Monster. And Phil, you said she was slated to direct Thor 2. I think there's something like that. Nassie Portman, I think, was a fan of hers and wanted her to do Thor 2. And then eventually it didn't happen. Yeah, Much to Nassie Portman's uh, disappointment. Well, she was quite right to be disappointed because Patty Jenkins seems to have learned from all the mistakes from those DCEU films that we were just discussing, Phil. Because this film knows how to balance light-hearted, real characters who live and breathe like actual people with sort of massive epic events uh, to do with the world ending and all that kind of stuff. There's a, a degree of campy cheesiness and fun in here, the like of which, you know, you'd be tempted to say is more seen in a Marvel film. Although actually, I think it's different. What's really nice about this is it's a jokiness that has its own tone. Marvel, I think you can tell the sort of jokes that are likely to be made. Think about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, there's a certain style of joke, isn't it? That's right. Often it's an eye raise, it's ironic, it's referential. Slightly sarcastic. Yeah, this is not that. This is genuinely just a bit witty. I laughed a lot. And it's great that the writers and director spotted the potential for humour in this film naturally in the story. So it didn't feel like an injection. Like, for example, Suicide Squad, you could tell stuff had been injected into that film. Is it more to do with fish out of water stuff? Because I know Dawn from The Office is in it. Yeah, that's right. I was going to come on to that. The best bits in the film, for my money, are the fact that here's Wonder Woman, who's been an incredibly strong, tough woman wandering around in pants and a breastplate <laughs> all her life. <laughs> With a sword. And suddenly she's in like the prudish wartime London, walking around. And Chris Pine is playing the sort of hesitant, sort of fuddy-duddy. He's like, no, no you keep, keep your cloak on, please. No, you can't do that. No, we've got to get you some dress, some clothes to stop you being so distracting and all that sort of stuff. And, and it is funny seeing Britain through the eyes of this <laughs> like superwoman, basically. And that's where Dawn from the Office turns up. Lucy Davis, I think is her name. She plays Etta, who is Chris Pine's nominal secretary. Uh, and she helps uh, Gal Gadot get an outfit and become a bit more acclimatised. Yeah. And is she the counterpoint to Wonder Woman's sort of supreme independent woman to this kind well, of slightly dotty? Yeah. She makes oh, it, right, okay. yeah, exactly. well, kind of a, uh, in the background. Yeah, and that's really nice. There's a nice little bit of counterpoint there about here's one kind of strong woman and perhaps here's another one. You might not see it in the same way, but here oh, is another one too. I see what they did. Exactly. I, I thought it was really great and I loved all the chemistry. Uh, inevitably, there's a point at which they need to go off on a quest and for the purposes of that... Uh, they assemble a small team filled with some mates that Chris Pine knows who are a bit disreputable, um, but, you know, the kind of guys you'd trust with his life. The sharpshooter, played by the guy who plays Spud in Train Spotting, and a couple of other guys that I didn't recognise so well, I have to admit. Very, very charming. Uh, someone said to me after I came out of the screening, it's almost like Suicide Squad done right. <laughs> well, I was just wondering, it sounds like what they kind of wanted to do. Yeah, well, exactly. And it's a bit of a shame in a way that this is so much better than Suicide Squad was, because... Well, anyway, I, I'll, you can make that observation for yourselves there, listeners. And I think there's great camaraderie and great soul-searching as well. So not content uh, to just let the epicness of the story speak for itself. The characters do, you know, wonder out loud about the nature of war and about the nature of man. And there's a very basic plot device that enables them to do that because Wonder Woman sees the world very plainly. 
Ares is causing war. If I kill Ares, the war will stop. That's what she thinks. Whereas Chris Pine is here as a spy for World War One, saying, yeah, but then maybe it's a bit more complicated than that. Maybe and sometimes you have to do bad things to do yeah, good. Yeah, or and... maybe people aren't all completely good in the way that you hoped. And it's and it just, it's a classic age-old sort of paradox. And I think really surprisingly deftly handled in the script. Fantastic performances as well. Does that not make Wonder Woman Diana Prince, is it? Does that not make her a very flat character and a bit of a, a dud in terms of female... Uh, led films if she's um, so blank and so well no she's not blank she's new so she is discovering all this stuff herself but you know life wasn't straightforward for her on the island as well because she's unique amongst the amazons and you can learn more about that when you see the film yourself and she grew up there surrounded by women who didn't want her to become a warrior they wanted her to maintain a sort of innocence and stuff so she's already had a sort of troubled or slightly unusual upbringing. And then when she comes into wartime London, she just learns all the time. She's not flat. She's learning a lot. Is it a bit like uh, Lily? George of the Jungle. <laughs> no, not George of the Jungle. I was going to go with Fifth Element and uh, what's oh, her name? Lili. Oh, what's her name? Lilu. Lilu Dallas Multipass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a bit... Um, I think Wonder Woman is a stronger character than... Uh, but that sort of dynamic, she's discovering the world and what it's like and yeah. that's informing her character. So you, she progresses naturally in the film. That kind of thing, yeah. I, I should probably mention something about the threat, which is they've kind of concocted these two German scientists who are developing a big chemical bomb. I think the main woman is called Dr. Poison, and she's some kind of amazing... <laughs> Don't roll your eyes like that, but it's well, a comic it's book a, movie. It's a silly comic book name, isn't that's it? That's great. That's what I always want comic book films to do. Uh, and they're concocting something, and, th- and that's the major threat that they have to go and solve. Uh, you've also got uh, David Thewlis turning up, also known as Ridiculous. <laughs> um, Professor Lupin. Pro- thank you, Professor Lupin, Mr. Werewolf. Uh, who's, uh, Spoilers. Uh, sorry, yeah, <laughs> sorry. sorry about that. Uh, he is an English minister who knows Chris Pine and is sympathetic to their plight and stuff, and he gets slightly more to do later on as well. Really liked him in the film. He lended some gravitas that the more jokey stuff needed for balance. So I hope you're getting a picture. It's, I really liked it. My criticisms, sadly, are to do uh, with Zack Snyder's imprint on the film, I have to admit. and The slow-mo fighting, the, oh, epic, cool. Yeah, yeah like, I really never got the fight sequences in Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman, really. The Batman fights were good because they were small scale, whereas when the superheroes start fighting, they just zoom miles away. It's really hard to follow it. There's an overuse of CGI. It's a bit like Dragon Ball Z anime style. Yeah, mixed with 300, right? Which is what made his name in the first place. Yeah. It's got a sort of hyper-stylized nature to it that occasionally I just wanted to, it to stop doing slow-mo. Occasionally I just wanted it to stop panning right the way around. Occasionally I just wanted it to let me see Gal Gadot do some cool moves. It, there's, it's a weird sort of counterintuitive thing. With it. The more you sort of swirl around and do clever things with the camera and the effects and the pace and the motion, the less realistic the fighting looks and one of this film's massive selling points as well as one of its big achievements is that you've got a really strong leading woman doing all this stuff so it would have been a much stronger statement in my opinion she just did it yeah to allow you to see her doing it rather than relying on camera tricks uh, to sort of emphasize her strength which is not to say it's always bad i just thought it was a bit of a disappointment you sort of looking for a black widow-esque jump on the shoulders spin around do the twisty but, judo but even stuff. better because um, like wonder woman is power like black widow is sort of gymnastics right and skill wonder woman has that sure but she's powerful she's strong and you know that's just imbued into her character and i wanted to see more so of you that. want to see a puncher guy and him fly off in the world I, yeah genuinely i wouldn't have minded that yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> there are moments that come close to that the other thing i wasn't so keen on well two other things is that the color palette 
amazingly starts out as vivid as you can imagine when they're in this paradise island place which was great it was like the anti-dc it's like this cheesy Greek paradise <laughs> yeah fantastic but they cannot resist when the epic stuff starts happening they cannot resist slowing it down darkening the color palette and infusing it with this dull darkness which has become so routine because the world's so dark it was so turmoil. annoying i wish they hadn't done that it, it made some of the sort of really epic serious solemn moments a bit tedious and almost funny because they were so overplayed they got that wrong too final thing a poor script in some places i'm sorry to say and i noticed that chris pine and gal gadot in particular and dawn from the office lucy davies are so good they're such good performers they make you feel like this is a really well written film but then in weak moments where it really they can't hide it yeah yeah so i unfortunately in some of the biggest clunkers land on wonder woman's shoulders herself and that's really annoying because it gives people a tool with which to attack her performance which i don't think is justified and i have heard some people say oh yeah she's you know not a bit clunky great. but i disagree i think she's great i think none of the characters were that well served by the script so that's kind of it phil at a rate of knots that's great what's the grade I would give it a B plus. I think it's really solid and very enjoyable. That is higher than I was expecting because really? you are not a fan of the superhero genre. You don't really like these sort of films, especially I, I with the it. world building. And if you like it, I think maybe there is something there. <laughs> I mean, I really kind of dug the cheesy Xena warrior princess vibe at the beginning. <laughs> like, that really set me in a good mood because I just thought this film knows it's a bit silly. And you have Robin Wright, who was the Princess Bride woman, right? She's there as this fierce warrior chief. Princess Buttercup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And now she's like, she's so tough, but she's completely 100% bought in and you can see it and it just works I, I think so much of it works and i'm so relieved to be able to say it definitely give it a watch any bonuses it's not a, a funny bonus but what i will say is that when a baddie becomes revealed it's one of the best um sort of you know when you used to play fighting games when you're teenagers phil uh, and watch things like dragon ball z you kind of wait for the climax moment where someone reveals their ultimate power their true form exactly there's a moment like that that actually gave me a good good feeling really and, uh, surprisingly because i thought that moment had been done to death now in films but it was one of the most convincing sorts of you don't know what you're dealing with here revelation uh, yeah moments i've seen for quite some time Cool, there you go. Wonder Woman, get your thoughts in. I'm sure people will go see this one. SueBadeBros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at SueBadeBros. If you agree with Laurie, send him a plus one. If you don't agree with him, send him a minus one and explain why. There you go, thanks. I'm glad you did that. That was exactly what I had in mind. Oh, good. Right. Did I do it in the wrong key? No, you did. No, you just chose a different part of the song than I would have chosen. Maybe the B instead of the A by Hans Zimmer. Anyway, yes. So there's the score. Is it back in the same way that everything else is back? Pirates of the Caribbean is here. Dead Men Tell No Tales slash Salazar's Revenge in the UK, it seems mm. to be. This is the fifth film in the franchise. Quite a big gap between the, this film and the last film. The last film being Stranger Tides, On Stranger yes. Tides. I don't think that performed very well. No, it? I wasn't a big fan of On Stranger Tides. But I'm going to save all my Pirates of the Caribbean previous franchise stuff chat for what we've been watching. That's what I'm going to try and do. I'm just trying to focus on this film. And I think it's going to be quite hard to do. But I'm going to try. Okay, man. We're right behind you. So Jack Sparrow is back, but he hasn't really been seen. Instead, we start the film with Will Turner's son, Henry. Hmm, that doesn't sound like a good start. Can I put it out there? Yeah, I think you can. Orlando Bloom was not considered a high point of the series. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about that in a little bit. But this time, we've got Henry Turner, who is a little boy who is longing to see his father, who, as you know from previous films, is now stuck on the Dutchman. He is the kind of 
captain of the ship. Isn't he Barnacle Bill or something? (laughs) He's the captain of the ship, the Flying Dutchman, which is kind of like a graveyard ship that goes and captures the dead of the sea. Yeah, he used to be Bill Nye with his squid face. Yeah, he's replaced him. But he, of course, can't go back on land for 10 years. He can have one day on, on land, but he's stuck basically being the captain and it's slowly cursing him, making him more into a barnacle man. Yeah, and, Barnacle Bill. <laughs> and Henry, of course, wants to wants to see his dad. He wants to break this curse. And actually, we've got a pretty good clip. Henry, at the very start of the film, as a little boy, decides he, he needs to see his father. He needs to see Orlando. He misses him dearly. And so he decides to strap some stones onto his feet, jump off the, wa- off the boat into the water. And then suddenly, Orlando Bloom, Will Turner, comes and rescues him. And they have a little bit of a chat. And here is pretty much the main gist of the plot. Don't you see a curse to this ship? That's why I'm here. I think I know a way to break your curse. To free you from the Dutchman. Henry, no. I've read about a treasure. A treasure that holds all the power of the sea. The trident of Poseidon can break your curse. Henry. The trident can never be found. I found you. It's just a tale. Like the tales of you and Captain Jack Sparrow? He will help me find the trident. You stay away from Jack. Leave the sea forever. You have to stop acting like a pirate. I won't stop. I want you to come home. Oh, don't talk to me about pirates. I can't do it. I can't do his voice. He's got a weird voice. It's like I, I, I did a more Cornish version than him. Oh, don't start talking to me about the pirates. Well, what's, what, I can't even do an Orlando Bloom impression. Well, he's doing a weird impression of his own character. I don't understand <laughs> yeah. it. He's not the voice that he had. Obviously, when he was doing that Cockney film with uh, Naomi Rapace. I like a good tagine. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, he was... Um, He's kind of forgotten how to do his character, which is just Will Turner, his normal voice. It's just him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Weird. But that kind of gives you the main thrust of the plot, the main MacGuffin, which is this trident. The uh, Poseidon's trident, basically, is what they're looking for. And amongst all of this is uh, a very nasty captain played by Javier Bardem. Mm. Is that right? Yes, Javier. <laughs> <laughs> who is playing Captain Salazar, a guy who has links to Jack Sparrow, who has been uh, deeply affected and cursed by Jack Sparrow. And so he wants to get revenge on the captain. That sounds like every single film so far. Yeah, so basically you've got a fantastical, weird villain who's trying to get revenge on Jack Sparrow. And you kind of hit on the problem of this film, which is it's kind of a reboot of what they've always done since The Curse of the Black Pearl. You've got a kind of weird-looking pirate guy, captain, who's kind of missing some of his face, his teeth always bleeding blood, who, for some unknown reason, wants to get his own back on Captain Jack Sparrow. It's all about Captain Jack Sparrow. I found this film quite frustrating because I think there's a lot of elements which are really strong in the story and in the ideas that they don't execute very well. I think it tries desperately to to re- engage with the audience the things which they loved which they think they they think that they loved from the the first film but what ha- happens is you get kind of a weird sort of cover band-esque version of a pirates caribbean film it hits the beats but it's not quite right and it's not what you want it to be and you just kind of wish oh, i wish it was being played by the original original oh, set i should think most of the cast must be absolutely tired and they've had enough of this by now because i mean johnny depp much as i loathe to bring in anything approaching tabloidiness to this film is in debt isn't he and he needs to earn a lot of money and i can only imagine that was the last bit of appeal to him in this character perhaps i don't know i think you can tell the tiredness though on jeffrey rush's face in particular as captain barbosa he's getting very old and the character they don't really know what to do with him 
they don't really know what to do with Captain Jack either. He's he is unfortunately a parody of himself. It's a weird imitation of the character rather than the original, and it's so frustrating watching them kind of miss the point of what was so appealing about the original films. But Bruckheimer is involved, right? Still, yeah. And you've got the bombastic score. You've got the the amazing visual sets and the sea and the ships and the characters. And they've kind of tried to get back into that zone by hiring lots of the original Black Pearl crew back that were being kind of throughout Mr. Gibbs and they even tried to get Garrus from the office back but he couldn't make it because of scheduling conflict so there's there's definitely trying to harken back to the original but unfortunately in order to do that and in order to kind of reboot the franchise they have to add in new new characters because Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley are kind of done with the franchise sort of yeah and so instead they kind of take the characters children and put them on front and stage and they become the replacements but captain jack is still there and he's still very much key to it henry turner is paid by brenton thwaites who was in gods of egypt uh, which uh, which i still unironically enjoyed <laughs> very much so and he had a very much a strong appeal as a kind of leading protagonist he was great he was like aladdin or something i thought he was terrific in that very he, open and honest he does have that quality in this film and he acts it really well but his character isn't written enough oh. they start with him but then actually they shift protagonists onto Karina Smith, who's played by Kaya Scolodero. Yes, from Skins. Effie from Skins. He I doesn't say anything. Series, I gotta say. I really, really didn't like the fact that they didn't know who their protagonist was in this film. And actually, it really highlights that there was actually a lot of appeal to Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. They had a lot of chemistry and they carried those films really well. Do you think so? Because really, a lot of people really said well. at the time that they're the worst thing about it. Which I think it doesn't give them credit for, because having now seen two films without them, those two films really, really suffer from having no real earnest, charismatic couple to kind of carry you along. In fact, this film can't even escape the shadow within its own film of Keira Knightley and Will Tur- <laughs> and uh, well, Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom's in it. I mean, but Kira, does she show up? No comment. No comment. Okay. All right. But, it, I mean, if you do see this film, you will see exactly what I mean. It really cannot escape the <laughs> charisma of that original couple. And the film suffers for it. It really wants to do something new, branch away. But it's trying to do something new whilst looking backwards, and which you can't do. You're stuck between the pier and the boat. So what's the problem? Is it a muddle? Does it feel chaotic? Does it feel like there's just too much? What What is the thing that really kills it? I think it's really missing the, the good original bits, which are the sword fighting and a good characters to root for that you really care for you don't care about karina she's got this characterization which is you don't know really her past you don't know where she's from or what she's doing or what's motivating her and that of course is revealed over the course of the film but her character seems to be just that she's smart she's not like the other women in the film that's right they, she gets accused of being a witch routinely throughout the film because she understands science but there's not really enough to her Henry Turner is, while he's very earnest and charming and I really like the guy and the performance by him, there's not, there's nothing to his character other than the fact that he is the son of Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. That's the entirety of his character. So what does that just mean when you don't have an anchor? There's a little sea metaphor for you, Phil. Uh, with all the stuff swirling around it, does it feel like everything's just a bit formless? Yeah, and you don't really know who you're rooting for or or where you're, where you're emotionally going to be invested. Yeah, Jack Sparrow is the lead, but he shouldn't be. He should be a side character. He really, really should be a side character. Everything swirls and connects to him all the time. And I don't really think that's 
what his character should be. This is one of those films which I found myself wanting to rewrite. I want to reorder the film and put focus on different things and change the order around so that you get a clearer picture. There's actually quite a nice sequence where you get to hear the backstory of Salazar and mm. how he became this sort of weird zombie captain. He looks pretty good. I would, and Javier Bardem is great. Yeah, he's always charismatic and he's a, he's got history as a good villain. He was great in Skyfall as the uh, the villain against James Bond and he kind of manages to do it again he's very menacing very intense and there's something kind of intriguing about his design the production value of this pirate ship that's sort of a monster in and of itself it kind of leaps up and kind of crashes down like it's a big shark onto other ships that's how it attacks them wow that's pretty and that looks good the special effects are really really good in this film but where's where's the heart where's the drive the film doesn't really ever discover it until very much at the end and even then you're not really that bothered the film does have that sort of over-the-top spectacle that the world to end had you know there's that whirlpool moment where oh, at world's end at yes world's end. i do I, I by that point i have to admit i was just you checked rough. out didn't you yeah but it has that which i don't think is what people really wanted if you compare the uh the final act of at world's end versus the final act of the curse of the black pearl i know which one i prefer yes i much preferred the sword fighting and They're the fighting clever... in a cove aren't they and yeah the and it's quite simple and it's just fun and energetic and the choreography and the script carries you along rather than this huge ridiculous spectacle this film goes very much for the spectacle rather than the fun swashbuckling i want more well, fun swashbuckling. well that makes sense then if, if the characters aren't holding it together then i can see why they've done it because they must have felt that during production like we're not getting an emotional connection with the leads therefore let's pick up the uh, the cgi and the action sequences right but i mean tell me is there is there a good sense of mystery i mean you said at the beginning there were some really good story ideas yeah, so I like the captain. I like Captain Salazar. I liked um, what, this Trident Poseidon. The Poseidon's Trident thing sounds a bit MacGuffin-y to me. It is MacGuffin-y, but it works fine. And it's it's the idea of trying to hook back the slightly frustrating ending of Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley's storyline and trying to resolve it in this new film. That being kind of the main drive of Henry Turner's character, I really like because I think people who finished the original trilogy of Pirates of the Caribbean maybe were a bit frustrated that these characters that you're rooting for are separated for so long, and the idea of trying to kind of end that is is a nice sort of drive interesting but I then again it, it, you see of... how it's hearkening back it yeah, can't escape yeah, yeah. the shadow of that original romance that original couple that you were rooting for and instead you're going to get this fake couple that's sort of a surrogate for that okay okay so let me tell you the picture you painted to me phil it sounds like a big confusing messy painting based on the original film yeah, and you kind of wish you had Gore Verbinski, who comes back and puts in a bit of fun. He is good, man. Yeah, he, he is really, really good. is good. And I think people give him a hard time, and they gave him a hard time, I think mostly because of At World's End. I think that was the film which people didn't like, and they were actually made the same time as uh, Dead Man's Chest. I think he's a really talented director, Gore Verbinski, and his sense of fun and creepiness and mystery and adventure really carried those films along and he made the most of the ideas of the story this film has the ideas but it doesn't know how to deliver on them doesn't know how to invest you as an audience and doesn't have that sense of fun okay what's the grade for me i think it's better than the fourth one but it probably is not much better than the end of the other ones i'd give it probably a b minus Really? That's slightly higher than I was expecting, but okay, nice. I've, I've been thinking about it in my head ever since, wondering, oh, if I could just do that or put that in. And just, it ugh. looks like it's been, str- it's been tough for you to sort through your thoughts on this one, Phil. It sounds like it's just a big, confusing mess. But the thing is, there's so much... There's something in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise which is undeniably good, which 
you want to see revitalized it's a very captivating idea i mean i like the original ride to be honest i thought that was very magical yeah <laughs> i've been on it. it i love it i was totally transported i, I love the night sky underground anyway <laughs> uh, and i always wanted to eat at the cafe there as well but it's too expensive you have to book in uh, so in advance for that yeah there we go uh bonuses any you get to find out how uh jack sparrow got all his little trinkets great i know that's something i was really i know you you want to know where he got that little coin on his hat from very like the way i want i really am desperate to know why han solo is called han solo yeah exactly this film is answering the important questions Mm, there we go okay phil well as ever we're running long on the show uh, this week so i'm not going to do any comedy intro for after the storm which is a film by hirokazu kore eda i really want to spell that so people can track this guy down it's h-i-r-o-k-a-z-u k-o-r-e hyphen e-d-a so my terrible pronunciation (laughs) i hope you had your pens ready (laughs) (laughs) no i I was trying to close my eyes and really desperately try to remember um he did i wish which was the film uh 2011 film following two boys who are estranged because their parents are divorced they're brothers but they don't live in the same town so they hatch a plan to get to a place where two high-speed trains are going to cross because they've heard a rumour that if you're there when they cross, you can make a wish and it will come true. And the suggestion is that they might wish for their family to be back together again. Really heartwarming, stunning film. I loved it. So I went into the screening for this one with high expectations, which were immediately met. This is a wonderful film. Listeners, if you have got even the slimmest piece of patience uh, within you to watch a film with subtitles that is slow moving, very, very quiet, but exceptionally uh, observant and beautiful, then this is really for you. So the film follows a man approaching middle age who uh, once was a good novelist. He won an award for a book that he wrote, but he's divorced now. Uh, His wife lives alone with their son, and his wife seems to be in quite a serious relationship with another man who's quite successful, sort of hardworking. Um, this guy, this nearly middle-aged guy, is also a bit of a slob. Um, he has a real gambling problem. He fritters away his money. Um, he do- it doesn't appear to take much care of his physical appearance. He's got very scruffy hair and slouches all the time. Uh, and because he's not really writing very much anymore, he makes his money as a private detective in Japan. Oh, right. Yeah, but more than that, he extorts the people that he investigates. So what he'll do is a client will hire him and he'll go and do the investigation and find out that there's an affair going on. Then he'll go and meet the person who he's been spying on and say, look, we've got these photos. We would rather make this go away. How much can you pay us? But we'll have to give the client something, you know, all that sort of stuff. So oh my goodness. in many ways, he's a man with very low morals and very low. He doesn't have, seem to have much pride anymore. The fact that he's extorting these people for money and, and, and he has to do that to pay child support for his son who's living with his, you know, divorced wife. So it's kind of a sad scenario, right? Isn't it? Mm. The thing that is so skillful about Hirokazu Koreda is that he is he seems to be incredibly compassionate to me. Even though this guy seems very low, right? A bad father, gambling problem. He doesn't flinch from showing you the low moments, but he shows you so many real human moments in this guy. You cannot help but feel sympathy for his situation. Despite the fact that he is an unsympathetic character, you really sympathise and empathise with what he's going through because you see the fact that he is really aware of what he's lost. And, you know, he uses his private investigating skills and uh, a young colleague of his to go and spy on his wife and see, you know, this guy. And you're shaking your head because it's pathetic, isn't it? And the guy knows it, but he can't stop himself. And there's, there's these amazing moments when later on in the film, he, you, you, the frame and the narrative is set up in such a way 
that he looks like he might be about to have a chance to redeem himself, you know, and maybe get their relationship back to life. But he gets in the way. And you watch him making tiny mistakes, like being really lazy and letting his mother do all the work, you know, his mm. son's grandmother, rather than helping out and showing his character. It's, I think, is so wonderful. It's so delicately put together. The scripting is immaculate and you, you just believe every moment uh, of every scene. And I think, you know, as I've said before with him, I think his camera work really enables you to see the minutiae of all these personal relationships and really get an idea for the people because it's so often very, very still. It doesn't go for beautiful frames. It goes for quite cluttered frames a lot of the time that just feel like real life. Uh, and he knows exactly when to give you a close-up. Uh, you know, when, because the camera is so still, when it does move or when you get a jump cut, it has a, lot, it has a very high impact because you feel the movement and it encourages you to think more deeply about what's happening. Same goes when he does a wide shot. Uh, I can tell you that right at the end of this film, there's a, a zoomed out shot, aerial shot of three people searching for lottery tickets in the rain that made me cry. It was so beautiful and so sad all at the same time. Uh, I hope I'm building an overall portrait for you. It is absolutely stunning. What sort of Western film would you compare it to in terms of its tone or ideas or, or anything that kind of might give an indication well, of what you, it's like? This is something that's going to chime in what you said to me, Phil, just before we started recording, which is I don't really think there are Western films <laughs> that get made like this anymore. And there's a, there's a few reasons for that. I mean, I would say that the very, very little I know of Japanese culture uh, suggests that they have a lot of time for questions that are to do with humanity and existence and your life and pondering the philosophy of it all and trying to figure out where things have gone wrong. Mm. Uh, and similarly, they have a much more traditional approach to family uh, in their culture. And I, I don't doubt that in this film, people will spy a lot of negatives because there's a very clear division between expectations of men and women uh, in Japanese cinema that will make some of us quite uncomfortable. But you sort of just need to accept that it is different mm. uh, over in Japan as well. Um, so for those reasons, it's not really like anything. Possibly the closest is something like About a Boy. But even while I say it, I just think it's nothing it's not like, like that. that at all. But it also is as well. Okay. Uh yeah, so I, I think, listeners, if you've got patience, and I, I do mean patience because it takes its time to get there, you will be richly rewarded for sticking with it. Uh, a couple of other things to say. Soundtrack is really deft and wonderful. It's very, very gentle. There's some wonderful whistling soundtracks uh, that make it almost feel like a Western, but like a depressing Western. <laughs> right. Well, and it kind of fits the PI thing. I thought the performances are just stunning. Like that, this central guy, he's such a sort of desperate character. Um, but something so I, you relate to him, yeah? Yeah, no, I do, Phil. That's the truth. I really, really, really do a lot, and and I think anyone will. It's it's such it's so touching. Something I really loved about this that I'm tempted to make a movie love in future, Phil, is that his mother, who is his son's grandmother, gets a lot of screen time, and you see what it's like for her to have this guy as her son. Because one of the key elements is that his father was a lot like it, and his father is the one who introduced him to gambling mm. at a young age. And, you know, we start the film after the father has recently passed away. So he's going around to see her. And her scenes are heartbreaking in just about every way imaginable. She is just terrific. She acts with so much subtlety. So, right, I'm gushing. I can tell that I'm gushing. Uh, what I'm going to do is close out this review with a trailer. But certainly the grade is an A from me. And the trailer, you won't be able to understand it, but you might get a little bit of a vibe from it. So you can play it now. Yes, I am. To close out the review, any final questions for me, Phil? If it wasn't Japanese, do you reckon you'd still like the story? I think there's a case to be made that if it was English language, I'd probably respond a little bit differently. And, you know, if it was a culture that was more familiar to me, then maybe I would see some more nuance or a different kind of thing. But, you know, it's a Japanese film. There it is.
Enjoy it for what it is. Check it out. What is it called again? After the Storm. I don't think it's having a wide release, so you'll have to track it down. Trust me, it's worth it. And our listener, Esther, said it was great, didn't she? That's right, yes. I, I remember this. She saw it on a plane ages ago, months ago. It must have been released much earlier in another territory. She loved it as well. So two recommendations. That's a, a automatic plus one, or does she get the plus one? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I would get the plus one, yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> All right, thanks. パパは何になるかわかんない。なりたいものになれた。パパはまだ慣れてない。台風の夜が教えてくれた本当に大切なこと。花も実もつかないんだけどね。なんかの役には立ってんのよ。海よりもまだ深く。信じてくれていた。ハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピーバースデーハッピ
Listen, the first Pirates of the Caribbean is gold. I, I just think I can't see how anyone doesn't like it. Because, People didn't at the time, though. But I just don't see why you couldn't like it. If you're not interested in pirates, fair enough, whatever. But the quality of the film, the quality of the performances, I think is undeniable. I think even Orlando Bloom is good in it. And his earnest portrayal of Will Turner, sort of over-eager. Do you remember when he says, that's not good enough? I do. And he gets angry at Jack Norrington because he won't go and chase after Elizabeth Swan. I think all of that, him as a blacksmith and he's going to, he makes swords every day so he can fight pirates and things. His character, I think, is actually really solid, even if it is a bit sort of farm boy-esque. He's sort of earnestly, hopefully, going to try and get the girl and be the good guy. And then you've got Elizabeth Swan, who... I think is actually a very good female character. She is competent and engaging. She's feminine, but also doesn't really take silliness from men. And then, of course, you've got Jack Sparrow, who in the first film, in the very first film, is really, really fun and funny and interesting. And even if he is a bit silly, he's not an idiot. And I think that's where the, the franchise has gone really wrong, in that instead of making Jack Sparrow the guy who looks like he's got nothing going for him, but actually is actually a very competent pirate, instead he becomes this sort of drunkard, swaggering guy who happens to get out of situations through no no sort of intention of him, himself. But in the first film, he's very smart. He comes up with plans, he does things, even if it's a bit sort of haphazard and a bit sort of not as slick as he might want it to be. He escapes multiple times and his cunning little trickery often comes out with him on top and everyone else fooled. Uh, Man, I completely agree with you. Actually, that's a similar feeling uh, to the one I had about Captain Barnacle or Barnacles. What's he called? No, that's... Is that an octonaut? Who's the guy in Tintin? Captain Haddock. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Just say Captain Haddock. No, no, that's fine. Uh, because what they did to him in the Steven Spielberg's animated Tintin film was he was exactly that. He happened, he did things by mistake and he was a drunk idiot, basically. And that really annoyed me because in the books, he seemed to actually contribute something and have something about him that was worthwhile rather than just being an idiot. Exactly. I mean, if you look at that sequence where they go underwater using the boat as sort of a, a mini submarine, do you remember that? They get I the do, little yeah, dinghy yeah, yeah. and they breathe and then they get onto one ship and they say, we're going to take this boat and they say, you can't, you can't sail away with this ship. You've only got two people. And then they do that and then they get the other boat to come and follow them. And while they're getting onto their, the big boat, they slip onto the smaller boat and then sail off with the smaller boat. I remember There's it. actual cunning plans and sort of swashbucklingness as Sean Connery might say, (laughs) to that original film. And I think even in Dead Man's Chest as well, I think it continues the the things that the original had going for it, but it expands the universe. It makes it more interesting. It adds Davy Jones, who's played by Bill Nighy. I think he's really good in that role. He is quite good. And it was very memorable. It was very groundbreaking. Or not quite groundbreaking, but impressive CGI, wasn't it? I still think it's impressive CGI. I think it holds up. His tentacles going along, he's completely concealed in this octopus jelly-like face thing, which I think is brilliant production design. That whole character works. You've got East India Trader Company played by the guy who's, uh, what's his name? Tom. Oh, oh, your sister Hollander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good as well. The whole characters, even the little kind of side characters like Mackenzie Crook and his other mate, little short bald guy. Yeah. They work as characters. I think the film gets, the film franchise kind of goes off the rails when they shift the focus onto Jack Sparrow as the main guy, as the one that you're really rooting for, rather than just a side character who informs the main core romance of Elizabeth Swan and Will Turner. That's when it starts going iffy. And then when you add in the spectacle of the giant goddess monster, Naomi Harris, you know, and the swirling whirlpool with the ships firing each other in a very odd angle, it's too much. The reality goes. Funnily enough, even if you have undead pirates, you still need to have a little bit of reality to 
it. You need to have rules to it. The whole Aztec gold thing. If you take it, once all the yeah, Aztec yeah, yeah. goes back, you can kill them. Very and all simple. That thing. Those things work brilliantly, but you need to have a world that you can relate to. And once the physics of the ships goes, that's when the plot goes. That's when it all becomes a bit overblown, too ridiculous. And you just you just start checking out because it's it's boring then. You can't relate to it. I often think that they're a great example for what it means, what the technical skill of writing a screenplay, because people assume that if you can just come up with a bunch of good ideas and make a good story out of it, it will make a good screenplay. But it's often not the case. And you can really tell when they have to extend a franchise that actually you can come up with a script but if it isn't solid, if it's if it's had any level of forcedness to it, yeah, it feels thin. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, and you can see that with the pirate world when they start having the the nine pieces of eight, and there's the pirate council. Yeah, exactly. And there's the That's king exactly of the pirates. I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's too much. But having little elements that slowly expand it, Davy Jones and the Flying Dutchman and the Heart and everything like that, I think that works. I think that really works. Dead Man's Chest is a great film. Although isn't that where they bring in the sort of oh maybe Keira Knightley's got the hots for Johnny Depp? Yeah, but I think that works as well. Oh, I didn't like that much. I think it works in a sort of a attention thing, but actually you always know she's going to end up with Will. Sure, sure. I think if you want to have a good time, watch the first two Pirates of the Caribbean movies and you'll have a great time. Dead Man's Chest is good. I, I will argue that to the bitter end, to the end of the plank. I do think it's one of those films that's um, it's interesting because it's marked the decline for several different people because the real high points were hit and it's hard you know listeners now Phil if they haven't seen that first one the impact probably won't quite be the same as it was for us seeing it at the cinema it was but huge Jack Sparrow's entrance on a sinking ship uh, fantastic it blew people away they couldn't believe it it was when you watched it you thought this is maybe the best thing I've ever seen uh, the themes from Hans Zimmer you know the driving horns and stuff people loved it everyone wanted to replicate it instantly Orlando Bloom you know almost managed to make it work as a lead and He's I just think all three of those things you can plot a course downwards from that point on because Hans Zimmer became a parody of himself and his scores they were all like that and they just sounded the same all the time Johnny Depp imitates his own performance yeah and he's become a caricature like even his Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and all that sort of stuff and what's that ridiculous one with the moustache oh McG- McG- McGill or something that like one. that yeah, yeah yeah and then even Orlando Bloom you know he had then he had Kingdom of Heaven didn't he and like he just started plummeting because he wasn't really Mr. Leading Man he was more sort of um supporting yeah I can't quite think of the right word for him but yeah that first one was great though yeah I think the the way that you could tell that there is something really magical in the original three and maybe not so much in the last one is that when On Strange Tides comes out it ditches all the things that they think audiences didn't is this like this number four you mean this is number four this is with Penelope Cruz and oh yeah Ian McShane that's it yeah I think it ditches the the romance between Elizabeth Swan and Will Turner and goes for just Jack Sparrow centric film with Jeffrey Rush is still there as Cats and Barbosa. It kind of gets all muddled and it loses its way and it adds more fantastical elements but there's nothing really there to hook you in. There's no emotional investment. And that's why I think a lot of credit needs to go to Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley because I think really they are the heart of that movie. <laughs> You've made your case on this one in the review, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so what would the grade be for Curse of the Black Pearl? A, A, solid and A. Slightly less for Dead Man's Chest? Or what a is the minus. One? I really enjoy the, the second one. Okay. Uh, World's End, I think, is it gets convoluted and it starts losing its way. And I'd give that probably a B minus, maybe a C plus. Uh, Stranger Tides is not a good fun. I didn't enjoy it at all. So that's probably a C. Okay, thanks very much, Phil. Shall I move along, or you got anything more? Pirate no, to I say? think that's plenty of things. I probably made a, like a weirdly intense case with Spice <laughs> Caribbean movies. No, I think it's a strong case, and you've reminded me how much I enjoyed that first one. I might watch it again. I'd be interested to know if people have any thoughts on the Pirates Caribbean movies. Okay, send them to superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter, and I will go for a brief rundown of 
War Machine. We are here to build, to protect, to support the civilian population. To that end, we must avoid killing it at all costs. We can't help them and kill them at the same time. It just ain't humanly possible. Now. This war's been running eight years now. Given your reputation and your formidable drive, our hope is that you're the man who will get the job done. Most of us here will know General McMahon's, the man who kicked out Qaeda in the sack. You're welcome. Get your troops in order. Move the needle a little bit. Show everyone a nice-looking set of graphs. Just finish this thing. It's a lost cause. We can stay in Afghanistan forever. That's why I'm going to win it. My team and I are about to embark on a new direction. What is this new direction? We build Afghanistan into a free and prosperous nation. All right, smile for the camera's glass. Sounds a lot like the old direction. It's my job to ensure that your personal ambitions are kept in check. seems to me that we all here with our guns trying to convince these people we're really nice guys. And he's the weapon! No one's gonna crack this, it's gonna be you. You're not here to win. You're here to clean up the mess. I am Brad Pitt and I'm doing my non-accent <laughs> accent. Yeah, I mean, Brad Pitt is so central to this. We, let's talk about him in a second, though. Give, give, I'm pressing pause on that. Listeners, War Machine, as you heard there, is a film... Well, you won't have heard the titles that came up on the trailer, but it's a film about the politics of war, and it follows... Well, it's, in fact, it's a very thinly fictionalised account uh, of General Stanley McChrystal, a real general uh, who retired. He handed his resignation into President Obama famously after a Rolling Stone article was published covering his approach uh, to the war effort in Afghanistan. And this was around the time when it was a very hot political topic. They'd been in there for eight years, I think it was. People didn't really know which way it was going to go. President Obama was saying a lot of different things about it and had his own agenda. Uh, and, you know, in comes this general, and they've given him the job of handling Afghanistan. And it is amazing because you get right from the get-go, it's weird how no one seems to really know what to do. Uh, in this situation here's a general one of the highest ranking generals in the country handling one of america's big military endeavors right the war in afghanistan and he comes in and seems to kind of be able to direct it a bit because no one knows what to do he's replacing someone he says i'm going to win this thing i'm not just here to wait it out i'm going to i'm going to win this thing and and then it chronicles basically his team's approach to pr to organization uh, to politics uh, to various sort of networking um, structural changes, working with the government in Afghanistan, including a, a president who's been put there, and how they try and make sense of it all and try and make progress. And it's it's a tough film to follow. There's a lot of dialogue. In fact, almost all the film is dialogue. You kind of have to really pay attention, so much so that I want to watch this again to see if I can get more out of it. Um, but it is undeniably compelling because you feel like what you're getting is a window into this stuff that is presented as so solid and serious and like national pride. And it turns out to be just a bunch of guys who are kind of making jokes and swearing a lot 
and literally coming in with a, an agenda and saying, I want to ha- make this happen, and they try and make it happen. It seems impossible that that is how a war effort could be directed. The state and yet, of a nation is down yeah, to exactly. like a guy just saying, I want to win this. Yeah, I'm going to win this. And, and the thing is, it's all based on a book by a journalist who followed, he was there, like he saw this stuff happen. He's the guy who wrote the Rolling Stone article. So it is based in reality. And the Rolling Stone article was clearly authentic enough to make this guy resign. So what you're watching has got to be grounded in truth. And, you know, I did the obvious thing, which is after watching it, I went and read the article on Rolling Stone, which Mm. is freely available. And it's funny how many of the events that are specifically referred to in the article are literally then represented on screen. Transposed. Yeah, I think they've played with the order a little bit, uh, but they've clearly done their best to be very authentic. Uh, It's directed by David Michod, uh, who I'm not that familiar with, an Australian filmmaker, most famously directed Animal Kingdom, which made a bit of a splash in, in a small way about a fictional crime family. Uh, But it's from the producers of The Big Short, which I saw you take note of, Phil. Well, yeah, it seems like they're taking the approach of The Big Short and applying it to war, basically. They've done it about mortgage and now they're going to do it about war. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting comparison because I think what The Big Short had that this doesn't have is The Big Short amazingly created a single narrative thread despite having, what, five different different scenarios or something? Yeah, yeah. This one, you constantly feel like you're losing the thread. And I understand why that's the case. It's because plans continually keep getting dis disrupted or have to change and or everyone is making compromises all the time there's huge stuff in there about this general um saying it, he was a big one for counterinsurgency essentially telling troops how they need to be there and be a military presence um but they need to win awards for not shooting things and like they, the soldiers just can't wrap their head around it they're like well you want but we're here i'm a soldier i've got a gun how do i act like i'm not a soldier what's the point of being here so like the messiness of the film bleeds right the way through it oh, no, sorry the messiness of the scenario bleeds right the way through the film and if anything it's a noble endeavor to try and make some sense out of it all because clearly the people involved in it felt like there was a lot that didn't make sense so do you feel like the messiness actually helps the film in its kind of meaning it does it gives it the right atmosphere and it's surprisingly light given the nature of the things it's discussing but it does make it hard to follow you've really got to be paying attention you, you'd think where this being a netflix release you could just kind of stick it on on your sofa netflix and chill right (laughs) but it's not really like that you've you've got to pay attention uh now can i talk about brad pitt yeah please do i really liked him in this really yeah but within the first five minutes i thought brad 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 what are you doing shock of blonde hair yeah what are you doing like firstly he's nothing like photos of stanley mccrystal or doesn't appear to be he's a lot bigger and tougher you know more handsome that sort of thing and i thought he's playing this like some weird caricature what is he doing he's stopping me from taking this film seriously and then after the next five minutes, I thought, this guy's nailed it. Either it's an accident or Brad Pitt really is a great actor because his odd brand of caricature really supports uh, the approach that they the take nature of the film. film. It's satirical, yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah, but it, it's the thing is he's not playing a dumb character. He's playing a character you kind of sympathise with. It's really it's very strange concoction of things that actually works. I, I'm kind of amazed uh, that it works as well as it did. Other people making good appearances, Topher Grace, where's he been? Sort of budget Tobey Maguire. Where's he? Well, he's, he but he's not. He's way more smarmy than Tobey Tobey Maguire ever was. Topher Grace is great in this. He's playing a PR guy. In fact, the guy who plays a hand in courting media attention that backs Barack Obama into a corner, but also the guy who keys up this Rolling Stone reporter and invites him in. And he plays this very smooth operator. It's very. It's a great sort of unlikable role. That is nevertheless there's an element of sympathy to it as well. Tilda Swinton is in there with a really oddly short cameo for someone of her stature. She plays a fantastic 
uh, German uh, politician, I think she is, asking these general questions about the war because it's not just America that's involved, it's Europe as well. Mm. And there's a really tense press conference scene that's very well scripted, I thought, anyway, where she like peppers him with questions and, and tries to get through to him. Um, yeah, so th- there's great performances all the way through. Uh, Will Poulter is there, Mr. Eyebrow Man. Uh, yeah, yeah, sharp <laughs> eyebrows. You can't really see his eyebrows this time because he often wears a military helmet, thankfully. <laughs> oh, uh, he's, good. he's good, but he's got a minor role. Uh, j- just generally, listeners, I think it's, an, it's a curiosity. It's certainly the kind of film that doesn't tend to get made in the big budget way, uh, presented on cinemas, so I'm not surprised that Netflix picked it up. I think it is worth your time. I think a lot of people won't like it because it doesn't. it's not easy to get on board with it's not easy to follow there are times where it feels like you're not clear what the message is am i supposed to sympathize or not sympathize is it critical of america you know that's always a big part of it i think a lot of people feel that it's you know unfairly critical in some ways and prevents it presents a very negative portrayal of things well i mean the key question is 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 it interesting i found it fascinating like i said i read the article i read all about the general i i think it's worth a go i'm gonna give it a b plus i don't think it's perfect but there is a lot to enjoy. And I think it's very well directed. There's sort of one action sequence in the whole film that had me holding my breath. It was great. Wow, there you go. What's it called again? War Machine. And then what, what rating is it? Uh, that's a good question, Phil. The amount of swearing in there makes me think it would be a 15. But appropriate for the film? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like if you read the Rolling Stone article, these guys are presented a certain way. Yeah. Like, they've got that real laddie camaraderie thing going on and it makes sense. One final note, Nick Cave. Do you know who he is? Actor, yeah. Uh, well, a musician more than that. Yeah, he's a famous sort of poetic uh, musician. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds have been around for ages. Yeah. He and Warren Ellis also work with Nick Cave to do the soundtrack. I think it's a fantastic soundtrack. There you go. That's what we've been watching this week. Pirates of the Caribbean, the whole franchise. Yes. And War Machine. Yes, I'm sorry. I feel like I've raced through War Machine, but I hope I've given you a general impression of what it's like. Flavor. I want to watch it again because I, I thought it was surprisingly hard to access, but enjoyable. So definitely let me know your thoughts. Superbellybros at gmail.com at Superbellybros on Twitter. Find us your plus ones, your minus ones, and what you thought of those films. Yeah. Okay, emails time. Sorry that last week's email section got cut loose, literally right in the middle of an email. So dramatic. <laughs> um, I know, I'm sorry about that. It's because I'm trying to release it on Fridays now. We ran. That was it, we ran out of time. There's Boom. no time to cut it in. I was in A&E for a long time. <laughs> okay. She's doing okay. If anyone's concerned about my daughter, she's doing all right. Uh, the tooth might you know, go grey and fall out, but it's okay. Uh, right, to pick up where we left off, halfway through an email from Confucius, he says, to carry on, Digital remastering, which is a topic we covered a while ago. In my personal opinion, these are very, very welcomed, as long as they don't change important characters' appearances or faces. I hate the young Anakin's face in Star Wars. It's just not natural or logical. Especially when you've got Alec Guinness looking very old next to Yes, it doesn't, exactly. It doesn't make sense. And then he says, Laurie, wait a minute. Back up a bit, bro. <laughs> are you saying you popped out your DVD in your nice TV? I'm sure I heard that right. Listen twice to make sure my ears are still serving me. Because if that's the case, you just potentially made a fool of yourself. <laughs> I'm making those comments on Lord of the Rings and the lots of tongue out faces. I mean, come on, are you expecting good picture quality from a DVD? I think he's impugning, uh, impugning, that's the wrong word, implying that I really should be watching it on Blu-ray there, Phil. Uh, I mean, I think DVD is the standard now. And if it doesn't look good on a DVD, it's not going to look any better on HD, is it? I understand your point, Confucius, but I've got to side with Phil on this one. I think Blu-ray would just enhance the problems, personally. If I can see them on DVD, surely they'd be worse in HD. Mm, Indeed, indeed. 
Okay, he carries on, Prometheus. This might surprise Laurie after recently having a newborn baby, but my lovely wife, the wiser half, he says, actually made me watch Alien 1 to 4 with her while she was eight months pregnant with our first daughter. <laughs> That's an odd choice. <laughs> she then dragged me to watch Alien Covenant, also made me rewatch Prometheus with her last night. And I have to agree with the Super Betty Bros about our point of view on Prometheus from what we've been watching a while ago. It is a better film, indeed, in many ways. Sure, there are a few really stupid and illogical sequences, like decisions made by those crews that everyone ranted about, but there's way more depth to the film. You can actually see what's going on in David's mind, the android that is, how he actually holds grudges and the whole journey of his uh, personality development um, in the franchise. And in fact, based on that, it actually makes Alien Covenant a worse film in some ways. Uh, I think he's right about that. That's kind of cryptic because I was avoiding some spoilers there, listeners, but I think he's right. He says, that's probably enough from me. As always, lots of love from your most faithful fan, the wise man from the East, Confucius. Thanks, Confucius. Esther's been in touch a few times on Twitter, at Super Betty Bros. Plus one for Phil. I loved Juno when I saw it as a teen. Wished I was as cool as her, brackets, without the early pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> Judah's great. I'm glad I got the plus one. I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Yeah, I liked it too. Nice one. She goes on. I just watched the trailer for Snatched. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a, a visceral reaction there, Esther. I'm slightly surprised. I thought the trailer looked okay. Maybe we saw a different trailer. Oh, it's just tedious, isn't it? And so you say. I've still not seen it. And I hope you don't. Alistair got in touch a few times about Wonder Woman. Uh, nervously excited, uh, he says he is, about watching it and wanted me to spill the beans early. I'm sorry I didn't do that, Alistair, but I hope this review has convinced you it is worth a watch. And then we've also had a few tweets from Nicholas. Uh, he's got some plus ones and minus ones here, ready? Okay. At Super Betty Bros, minus one to Laurie for Colossal. He Ooh. says, because it's unlikable characters, bad decisions and flawed narration cannot make up for this truly original concept sort of a mini review there in 140 characters nicholas i can't agree i mean as you know from my review i unlikable characters i don't think is a bad thing i think sometimes an unlikable character is a good thing i don't think you're meant to really sympathize with these guys i think you're just meant to observe them and i prefer that minus one still sticks to you (laughs) well I, i know and the thing is bad decisions and flawed narration again i don't um i don't agree i think they're all deliberate i i like what he did there i thought it was made it more interesting that uh, my expectations kept getting subverted. And for me, the bad decisions were good because it challenges the traditional narrative of that kind of story where you expect to see someone rebuild their life. It's not really about that. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, there you go. Is that too much defence there, Phil? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> totally yeah. Down, a little bit. Sorry. Uh, Absolutely, Betty Rosie goes on plus one uh, to Laurie again for Predestination. <laughs> one of the best contained indie sci-fis I've ever seen. Very twisted indeed. Primer on a bigger budget. Yeah. Which that's is more or less what I said. Yeah, that's why you get the plus one. But don't you agree with me as well, Nicholas, that it adds in more than Primer did somehow into less time. It's, it's phenomenal. I, I, really, I really was impressed by Predestination. Not sure it's like the best tone for everybody, but really fascinating ideas and well acted. Uh, and then... Two more quick ones from him. Uh, Plus one to Simon Mayo (laughs) for enjoying life uh, like him. He says it wasn't groundbreaking, but still a bit thrilling and entertaining. And then he asks if I'm still angry about it, Uh, to which the answer is yes, but slightly less angry than I was. Since seeing Alien Covenant. Yeah, I think the thing is, Nicholas, have you seen Alien? I'm sure you have. But life had nothing to offer. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna stop That's a great little soundbite, isn't I know. it? Uh, life has... No, no, no. Uh, final <laughs> one, he says, what are your thoughts on War Machine, the new Netflix original, and how about Netflix slash cancer debate? Well asked and answered in this week's show. Yep, check it out. Oh, you already have. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your contributions. Yeah, Phil. cheers. Yeah. Uh, one here from Johnny, an email, some stuff. He says, hi, Bailey boys with a Z. Just watched a few films recently, thought I should email in. First, Pain and Gain, which Phil covered last week on what we've been watching. 
Basically, plus one to you, Phil. I think I agreed with everything that came out of your mouth. I went in completely blind, had no idea what it was about, just thought from the look of it was some lighthearted gym comedy. Then it got dark and went nuts, and I didn't really know how to react. I sort of liked it, but at the same time, I didn't. Good performances from The Rock and Mr. Angry, brackets, Mark Wahlberg. Is there a film where he doesn't just play a shouty man? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but in the end, the film was trying to make me laugh at basically evil, so a thumbs down there. Yeah, that's that's my main thing. It's kind of a weirdly well-made film that's about horrible stuff. Yeah, I have to admit, I looked up the plot summary and stuff, and it doesn't look like one for me, I've got to say. Uh, the other film my wife and I have watched is Whiplash. Sorry, it's a while ago, so I can't remember who reviewed it. I think both of us. I think Sam did. Even Sam, that's right, yeah. I think okay. Sam put it forward. That's our brother, watching, on, yeah. a, on a rare appearance. He says he thought it was fantastic, so plus one to whoever reviewed that. There you go, Sam. It was tense, and it had some sick drumming. What more do you want? However... My wife hated it. Oh, right. <laughs> she had the most dramatic reaction to a film I've ever seen. So she would give a minus one to whoever recommended it. Sorry, Sam. One hand gives and the other takes away. <laughs> That's how it is on the show. It's brutal, uh, isn't it? She says, as a film, it was made brilliantly, but she just does not agree with the whole message. The idea of being pushed for brilliance, she just cannot get on board with. Well, how interesting. I, it's a sense you have something to say about that, Phil. Well, I think the whole question of that, that's the whole film, isn't it? Is it saying that? Is it right <laughs> to push people? Is it, so is you, it actually saying Johnny's, get... Johnny's wife didn't understand the film? No, me? I think she very much understood the whole ideas of the film, but then it's up to debate about what the ending actually is suggesting. Is it worth it in the end? Is it, is it actually brutal? Is it something good? Is it pushing somebody to reach their true potential? Who knows? It's up for debate. I'm with Phil on this one. I'm afraid, Johnny, your wife, um, because I, that's what I loved about it. It left it right up in the air. I don't think it was trying to convince you either way. Uh, okay final film captain fantastic again you'll have to dust off what you said about it i thought it was a very clever film it actually got me thinking about it still and i saw it about three weeks ago i thought particularly the scene in the sister's house was fantastic uh yeah i agreed with that i did find there were two aspects i'm not sure i enjoyed the first was the not so subtle contempt they showed towards uh christianity i thought there was some which was necessary for the film but it was a bit relentless wonder if it revealed a bit of an agenda uh, I'm not so sure about that, Johnny. I'm, I know what you mean. They do make a couple of comments, but I, I thought that all just fit uh, the whole context of the film. They were doing this whole Philosopher Kings thing, a bit of philosophy and, you know, going against religion was, was part of that. And I think they were trying to make a satirical comment that you can make fun of Christians because they, you know... They're not going to get cross about it. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, the other, he says, was seeing Aragorn in the nude. <laughs> He was just there naked, fully. And it was a bit of a shock. I also could not help noticing that as a man of the forest with his full hair and beard, his body hair was remarkably well trimmed. Now that's TMI. Too much information. Well, he puts it out there, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, that, that, was, uh, that sort of cracked me up. It was, it was quite a good scene, but it was certainly a shock. He's just like uh, leaning against the door of his caravan, just like, yeah, this is the human body. What are you going to do? It's certainly oh, a shock. Uh, there you go. He says, do with this as you will. Johnny, thanks very much for getting in touch, Johnny. Uh, and a final quick one here from the Pixel Bro. He says, great podcast this week. Thanks for being kind to my rambling email. I don't remember that. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> he says, colossal sounds fascinating. I really like how you make films interesting to contemplate prior to watching. I don't think I'd ever have considered Captain Fantastic or 10 years without both of your reviews. They're a while ago, some of those. Both your reviews, then. Are they you? mine? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, and I love it's both fine. I'm just, you know, just... One half of the baby bros. Just people don't need to say it to you, Phil. You're obviously the superior bro. Is mm. that nice? <laughs> no, it's not sincere at all. 
Look at uh, laugh. He made man. And he says, possible for what we've been watching, Tomorrowland, a very strange Disney film. Brad Bird films are always worth watching, in my opinion. He always shoots action really well, even in a 12-rated Disney film. He even claims there are some uh, reminiscent moments to Ghost Protocol, the Mission Impossible film. Oh, wow. You have to expand on that one, Pixel Bro. But I can tell you, I will review Tomorrowland if you want me to, but I don't think I'm going to agree with you. Really? Have you seen bits of it already? I've seen it all. Uh, but that's it. Thank you very much, Pixel Bro, for getting in touch. Thank you, everyone, for being in touch this week. Uh, really enjoyed uh, reading and getting back to you. Sorry if we missed any emails. It does happen sometimes. Do apologise. But they always get read. They do always get read. Superbabybros at gmail.com at Superbabybros on Twitter. Thanks. Get in touch. Right, well, there we go. Episode uh, 23 of season two. Oh, no, hold on. 27 of season two. <laughs> over and out. A fill with the glass windows open in our big cube in Trafalgar Square. I think we probably caught a few sounds of summer this week as well. It's just hot, man. You can't, you can't sit in glass, can you? No, it's very true. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our reviews. Do let us know your thoughts. Give us plus ones when you agree, minus ones when you disagree. And send it all to superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter. That's it, isn't it? Like, uh, what's next week? Uh, well, The Mummy is coming out. Uh, I happen to know that the screening for it is the night before its official release. Mm, so either, you know, it's, it's gone down so well. They want to keep it all up and make it all release at once like Christmas. <laughs> or they're a little bit worried that critics might not take that kindly to it. So we won't be able to review that next week. It'll have to be the week after, I'm afraid, because uh, when we record the show, I will have seen my cousin Rachel. That's also coming out. Don't know what I've seen, but I've seen Daphne something. Daphne du Maurier. That I didn't be. even talk about the fact that I've seen Baywatch. Oh, and you didn't. I would like to hear your thoughts as well. Should I save it for next week? <laughs> yeah, let's do that next week. Let's have some Baywatch thoughts on Phil, because that'll still be in cinemas, and I personally, I think it's a summary good time. Well, maybe I agree. Maybe I don't. Come on, give us a hint. I, yeah, I basically agree. <laughs> good. All right, we'll get, you more, we'll get full thoughts next week. Thanks, listeners. Have a great week. We'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. for now. Bye. Well, as ever, here's a little selection of bonuses that I could give you. You ready for this? You need to tell me which one sounds good. Okay. Uptown funk and chair dancing uh, in a public place. <laughs> uh, going to a clothes shop and they don't even stock the kind of clothing item that you're looking for. <laughs> uh, and uh, things you don't ask about because you think everyone else already knows. Things you don't ask about because you think everyone knows. I want to know not- what's in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, that's a tough one because I've only got two examples and they're not very good. So it depends whether you can think of any of these. Oh my gosh. Well, here you go. Right on the top of my list of that. So have you noticed how there are things that you just accept without really understanding what they are because you think that everyone else already knows? And if you ask, you're going to look like the idiot. You're like, Be afraid to ask. That's that? a whole meme, isn't it? Is it really? Yeah. Too the too Andy Dwyer meme from Parks and Recreation. He's like, uh, blah, 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 blah. And at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. I don't really understand this, but I'm too afraid to ask. I've never heard that before. There well, we go. I should be running these shows. <laughs> I thought everyone knew about no, that. No, I didn't. Oh, Sorry, right. man. Um, black Label. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, beers. No, no, no. If you like, people say, oh, well, I like the Black Label. I was like, or when it's IPA, what is it? There's sort of various ba- brands of alcohol. And I'll say, oh, it's the Black Label. And I'll go, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? What is Black Label beer? I don't know. I don't really understand what makes it an IPA. <laughs> but, okay, there you go. That's a great example. But people expect you to know this stuff. If you go to a pub that serves You're craft beer. You're a man, beers, you know, you got to know. Like, and uh, this is, it really come home to me recently <laughs> because when I was in Prague, especially, I drank a beer called Kozel, which was delicious fantastic and uh, it, what i thought it was was like a dark lager like, i've never seen this before Ooh. it's a lager but it's dark it looks like guinness but it's fizzy and i was thinking what is this new drink <laughs> that has never been seen on these shores and of course the answer is it's a stout 
<laughs> it's a very, very obvious answer. Uh, but I thought it was some new drink. So I've been telling people for months, like, this is, I've not seen it sold in uh, England anywhere, but it's like this dark lager. So either they are just being very polite or they think I know something that they don't know about. <laughs> what is this game that I we're playing? beer in general is a topic that men feel like they should know about, but I, th- I think people really do understand. Do you think? I don't know. I think there's a lot of men well, who are probably... Well, even down re- to Carlsberg Export, right? That sounds obvious. But why? Surely if Carlsberg is made overseas, it's all export. (laughs) What is the difference? I don't understand. But I feel like I must understand. This is kind of like how I felt when... uh about drugs you know i thought marijuana and cannabis were two separate things because really? they've got different names so why would you that they do why would, you know weed i thought there's all these different drugs <laughs> but they're all one they're all just one thing you don't ask about that either for well, sure yeah you've got no reason to have you but precisely everyone on the playground when you're a kid like people are talking about it and i'm like oh yeah oh yeah it's the same. i just didn't know didn't know <laughs> there's another thing as well that sometimes pops up this is much less frequent but have you heard the phrase review bar and it's review spelled r-e-v-u-e no, I haven't heard about that. What's well, that? I don't know. <laughs> it just comes up, especially in relation to comedy. It's a phrase like Raymond Review Bar. I don't know what it is. And like the review as well. That's something they did. You know, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. I think they came from the, oh, what's it called? Oh, no, Oxford have a group called the Oxford Review. And it's like this comedy troupe. Is it like a club? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know. And I've never looked it up. And I've never said anything. I feel like I know the right context to use it. But I don't know what it means. Like zeitgeist all over again. <laughs> zeitgeist. I do know the zeitgeist thing. I'm, I'm on with that one. Oh, but I think right. I got it wrong when I, I talked about it. <laughs> I don't know. Spirit of the age, basically. Just go along. Just mm. pretend like you know what you're doing and then <laughs> act like they got it wrong if you get it wrong. It's just funny because sometimes I just wish we could all admit no one knows. And we just get over it. I think especially the black label thing. I think we might have just all fallen for a dirty marketing trick. Um, but anyway, that's it. Bonus. Pirates Caribbean, Salazar's resent. <laughs> Do you want to try that again? Blooper. 